Welcome to another episode of the Water Women Podcast, the podcast all things ocean. I'm your host, Jill. We're talking all things plastic pollution today. That's right, we're getting down and dirty and learning about all the things that plastic is in and how it's affecting us in ways that you might not even think of. I'm so glad that Imari is here with us today because plastic is one of those well-known things. We all know about it, but do we really understand it? And do we know what to look for or how we can do better? So I'm really glad that Imari is taking the time to help us out today. If you're enjoying these Water Women episodes, make sure you take the time to rate and review on whatever platform you're listening on. And let's dive in and hear what Amari has to say. Welcome to the Water Women Podcast. Today we're going to talk all things plastic pollution and we have someone very special joining us today. Hello Amari, how are you doing? I'm wonderful Jill, how are you? I'm good. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about you before we jump in and talk all about plastic pollution, what it is, why we should care. So can you give us a little brief introduction to who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So my name is Amari Walker. I am a fifth year doctoral candidate at Duke University uh, in North Carolina, and my program is in environmental engineering. So I research and study plastics and in particular microplastics and what chemicals are present in them and how they end up in our water, whether that's drinking water, our oceans, our lakes, or even in the stomach contents of like a bird or a fish. And so really trying to understand what those chemicals are, how harmful they can be, and how they change in the environment. Um, and then before uh, Duke, I was a marine science major at the University of California, Berkeley. And so I, I did a little bit of, quite a bit of work um, in the chemical oceanography department, trying to understand uh, the carbon cycling and, and climate change and all of that good stuff. Cool. So you've kind of had a pretty direct path to get to your, uh, what you're working on now, this project now. Is it always something you kind of thought you would do or wanted to do, or did this kind of come to you later on in your life? So uh, when I was an undergrad, it didn't really seem straightforward exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I knew that I was like, I really enjoyed uh, oceans. And I was like, yeah, I want to study some form of ocean processes, probably chemistry, not as much biology. Uh, And so I thought I was going to stay on the climate change route or ocean acidification of some kind. But I, I, it took a little bit of exploring. And I realized that like, I also wanted an engineering background. I thought that was something that would make me stand out stronger for, for job applications. I thought it would challenge me in ways that I had a lot of imposter syndrome about, and I wanted to overcome some of those weird feelings. Uh, And so I thought, yeah, I want to do an environmental engineering program and I want to do a PhD. And so the, the question was like, what, what, where does that fit? How do I figure that out? And I think water quality is just the main thing that was a common thread through most of my undergrad and grad experiences. And so I, I think that's probably where I'm going to take that into the future of just like my concern for water quality and water quantity and 
I think that's kind of what led me here uh, to studying plastic and chemicals in plastic, uh, because I also noticed that uh, a lot of the marine life in our oceans are severely impacted by our plastic trash and our waste that we throw away and uh, don't think about every day. And so mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the small steps that that kind of put me on this track. Yeah, we often talk about how plastic affects all these animals in our oceans, but I honestly think you hear very little about how it impacts us and how it comes back to bite us. So I think it's really cool that that's what you're looking at. Absolutely. I think the 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 problem is also in the research. We don't have a lot of research that shows what's the relationship for, you know, human interaction with plastic or microplastics. But we do know that like there's over 800 species, marine species in particular, that have been impacted in one way or another by entanglement or uh, consuming plastic and getting it stuck in their guts and possibly harming them or or killing them. Uh, So the question is when we end up with seafood on our plate and it has microplastics that have been carried up the food chain or recently consumed, what is that what is that doing to us? I mean, we know that we're consuming about a credit card worth of plastic every day, every week. Um, so <laughs> wow. <laughs> what I, is that? I I in fact did not know that. <laughs> and now I'm a little concerned. <laughs> well, it it's the indoor environment is actually more of a concern than being outdoors. I mean, we're all at home with this pandemic, and most of us have carpets. We sit on furniture. Uh, We have dust in our air. A lot of that is made of plastic, microfibers. The the clothes that we wear, our stretchy pants, those are made of polyester, nylon, rayon. That's still plastic. Oh no. Me like looking around my room right now at my desk and chair and all the my all my leggings sitting on my bed and being like, oh no. (laughs) Well, I mean, we're still breathing. We're still alive. I mean, it's we're not still here. It's it, this is not of like, oh no, get it out of your house right now. But it's it's the question of like, what is the long term impact of this? How does it correlate to things like obesity? How does it correlate to you know just like uh, anything else that can affect the human body? So we don't have a lot of the answers to those questions. Um, we don't know what the long term impacts are, or maybe there's none because the amount that we're interacting with is still so so small but if we're going to keep continuing with this exponential increase of plastic everything what does that mean um so yeah i think that's an area of research that's not as well understood and still needs more digging into to really know like what is the human health effect of, of all this plastic but we know it's not good for our environment we know that that we are in a very delicate balance with you know our ecosystems and the biodiversity and the abundance of of the rest of the world so even if it's not a direct impact on our our human health it's going to have a direct impact on just the human species uh, as we know it if we're if we're eliminating species or or causing disturbances in our food webs traffic levels so yeah it's still a big issue Absolutely. And I think this is an awesome segue to talk about what your exact PhD is and what your project actually is. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So my project is looking at uh, chemicals, 
Plastic can contain hundreds to thousands of different kinds of chemicals within them. And that's usually to help in the structure, the aesthetics, even the functionality of a, of a plastic. And, you know, we it comes in different shapes and sizes. We, we interact with it every day. When we flip on a light switch, we put on our stretchy pants and we drive our light, fast cars. Um, but there's so many different kinds of plastics. And there's also so many different kinds of plastic chemicals that are present because of that, because of those certain needs. And those chemicals don't just go away when we throw away the plastic bottle. They, they, they can leave and end up in our water. They can end up in our soils and our guts. And some of them are great when they're in use for the plastic, like biocides. Those are meant to kill off like microbial growth from like your shampoo bottle. Like you don't want mold growing on your shampoo bottle. Like that's not great. But that's not great when it enters a waterway, if we're killing off the microbial populations or disturbing other, other groups of species because of those chemicals. So there's, there's so many different types of chemicals and, and combinations that are placed in a plastic, but we don't know what they are because companies won't tell us. That's considered business trade information that they have proprietary knowledge over and we don't, we don't get to know exactly what we're interacting with. Uh, so a lot of my work is really trying to identify what those chemicals are um, since they don't want to get give us that information. And then understanding how those chemicals will break apart or transform into something that could be more or less toxic. Wow. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like... I feel like there's also a lot of plastic and things that you wouldn't not necessarily think that there's plastic in, but like, doesn't seem like there's plastic in it. Like you mentioned your shampoo. And I recently found out that some of the shampoo that I had used prior to finding this out actually had plastic in it. And when I was washing it out of my hair, it was going down the drain and, you know, out into the ocean. And I was like, oh my God, what? This like, I'm, first of all, I'm putting plastic on my hair. Like what? <laughs> so it's really like, once you start looking into it, there's literally plastic in everything things that you don't even think that there's plastic in it's terrifying i mean our detergents a lot of our detergents have uh, microplastics um there's microbeads and sometimes face wash body wash like if you even toothpaste definitely has it some cleaners have have microbeads um yeah the more you think about it you're just like what and even like makeup like when you're putting mm. on that shimmer highlighter the glitter eyeshadow, like what is glitter? It is a microplastic. <laughs> oh, and it goes everywhere. So, oh, exactly. Yeah, it's kind of scary to think about sometimes how much we interact with it, and like, what are, what does that mean? Like, what are what are those chemicals that are making these things have different functionalities? I think the best example is bisphenol A, um, also called Ooh. BPA. But usually people see examples of that where they're like, oh, it's a BPA-free water bottle or it's BPA-free children's toys. You know what? I have always seen that and I've always kind of wondered really what that meant. So I'm really glad we're getting into this. <laughs> yeah, that chemical is an endocrine disruptor. So it can harm uh, sperm count. It affects fertility. It's also been linked to being a possible carcinogen. So there's, there's a lot of different um, impacts with that. BPA in particular, and because the public was was getting um, 
really involved in, in the fact that this is a problem and they want it out of their products. That is why it started changing. Like without consumers knowing about what chemicals are present in the plastics that they're using, they're not going to be able to advocate for themselves. So if you open a brand new package and you're like, ah, oh, the fresh smell of something new, that's not just the fresh smell of something new. It's also phthalates, you know, uh, other kinds of flame retardants, uh, you know, plasticizers, you name it. Those, what you're inhaling are, are combinations of chemicals that can be harmful, but we don't know because <laughs> they don't tell us. <laughs> yeah. I also feel like everything, not that it's new, but relative to time all these plastic chemicals are so new that there's not a lot known about them yet even scientifically like it's still kind of a learning environment for everything about them so we're never like that's basically what you're doing is learning more about these plastics and how they're going to affect us in the future and I feel like maybe hypothetically it should have been done before they went into like mass production but you know the world well it has a lot to do with where you're making your chemicals. Like what, what, you know, where are we when we're making these products? Because some people live by what's called the precautionary principle where they're not going to assume that a chemical is innocent until it's harmed enough people. They're, they're, they're going to do what, what needs to be done to get the background research appropriate for the chemical before they put it into the market. So yeah, I agree. I think that the way that we are approving chemicals into production is is kind of problematic where we're like, here, industry, you you go do a little bit of what you can to understand it and then come report back to us and like we'll take whatever you say and we'll say that's fine and not look any further. So there's the problem is there's just so many chemicals, you're right, in that um they're increasing exponentially. We keep making different combinations of things and not mm. verifying like even just by chemical class, uh, like back to the, like even bisphenol A, when we got that out of production, we replaced it with other bisphenols, bisphenol F, bisphenol S, bisphenol G. Some of these bisphenols are even more toxic than the original product, but we got, but we, we appeased the public because now people say, oh, it's BPA free. So mm. now we don't have to worry. We, we're not judging chemicals by their class. We're judging chemicals by their individual, you know, component. And so that's going to take more time to really verify every individual chemical and see if they're safe. Um, yeah. and, and there's going to be a lag in between when people find out and say, hey, I don't want this. And then the new chemical being put into production. Wow. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of, it's almost like an overwhelming thing when you, it's like a can of worms. When you start talking about it, it's like, hey, here's all these bad things, but there are some positives. So hopefully we can talk about the positives too. <laughs> well, I mean, one of the great things is that there is a lot of good technology out now to really identify what these are, understand how they change. And people are working on building better chemicals, building safer chemicals through green chemistry design, um, which is something that I've always thought about for future opportunities of like, how do you make a safe uh, chemical? Like, I think that sounds really cool and really interesting um, and mm. probably super complicated because if it's, is it safe for humans, but is it also safe for fish? Is it safe yeah. for, you know, uh, like 
these ants? Like, are we eliminating our ant population, even though it's safe for the rest of us? Like, <laughs> and in turn, what's that going to affect? Because there's always going to be that chain reaction, you know, like you, yeah, maybe we say, okay, it hurts the ants, but whatever. And then later on, we figure, oh, hey, we actually kind of needed those ants to maintain a balanced system. Oh, no. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's a little complicated than than initial. So, I mean, hats off, the, the world is still functioning right now with what's currently in production, but we can do better. <laughs> <laughs> and luckily, we have awesome people like you working on this. Oh, I mean, I'm trying. I think I'm I'm on the side of, oh, I caught you. You shouldn't have that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so what does, I know, okay, I always ask this question, and I say this every time too, that there's never a typical day, but what is kind of a typical day for you in the lab? What are you doing for your PhD, like physically? Mm. Most of what I do, I'd say this is true for pre and post uh, our pandemic, um, is uh, water leachings. So I usually will take plastic and I'll put it in water under different scenarios, whether it's been exposed to light or if it's been exposed to heat of some kind, or even just different pHs of the water. And I take time point measurements to say, okay, I want to know exactly what kind of chemicals are coming out and how fast they're coming out in a specific time frame. So uh, a lot of what I do is, is some of that, of, of leaching different kinds of plastics and looking for, for chemicals to identify or quantify in water, or I will be running samples on a high resolution mass spectrometer, which is just a fancy uh, instrument that can help me identify compounds with like forensic science. Mm. Uh, and then um, even characterizing plastic or microplastics. So I use a lot of different instruments and tools to understand how plastic works and then how certain chemicals interact in different environments. Uh, so yeah, a lot of chemistry, a lot of a lot of benchtop work, and then sometimes I'll also do uh, field work. So one of my projects is with a mesocosm, and that's basically just like you take a lake and you compress it into a tiny garden box, um, and you're trying to mimic that environment. So, so that's a a, a little uh, you know. Um, wind it down in comparison <laughs> but uh but really it's just a, a huge box 12 feet by by uh i think yeah six nine feet by 12 feet i think in in width and length but it has fish bird birds well not usually birds it has fish water snails plants uh sediment and it's supposed to really just mimic a natural environment. And so I have, we have mesocosm uh, boxes in the Duke Forest where we've dosed them with microplastics to say, hey, where do the microplastics go over the year? And where do the chemicals go alongside them? Do they stay with the plastic? Do they go into the water? Do they go into our sediment? You know, how is the interactions changing because of this over a year? So, hmm. yeah. Different days can can vary, but a lot of the time I'm on my computer, really. So probably classic. Yep. You know, most of most of the time doing some research, and then the rest of it is co computer coding and uh, writing and reading and all that good stuff. I feel like that's kind of the hidden 
part of marine science where people will get into marine science because they want to be in the field every day. They want to be out like getting their hands dirty. Like we all love the water. We all want to be in the water somehow. But there's a lot of behind the scenes where you're sitting at your laptop, you're analyzing your data, you're going over things, you're writing things. It's a lot of computer work that you wouldn't expect. And it has to be something you're really passionate about to pursue in order to kind of get through it. Oh, yeah. I was super scared of of coding and computer science when I started um, in my undergrad in marine science. And then by the end of it, uh, when I was graduating, I did an honors thesis that was all computer coding. I was like modeling uh, the sedimentation patterns of, uh, I can't remember, it was like inorganic carbon. I had like a thousand pictures of an autonomous vehicle taking pictures of different depths. Um, and I had to go through all the pictures and try and identify little pieces of like foraminifera and oh man, it was, it was a lot (laughs) of coding. (laughs) So your fear of that went away really, because mine is still heavily prevalent. It, It took time, but I'm, I'm much more comfortable. I think I get, I think there's moments where I feel uncomfortable when there's something new, but, uh, I definitely feel like I have a better handle than like a few years ago. No, hopefully I will get there eventually. But right now, R, the sight of R, just kind of absolutely terrifies me. (laughs) I love it. I mean, like, I know how to do it and I can do basic things. But then if someone's like, do this, I'm like, ah, (laughs) no. Oh, yeah. I live on Stack Overflow. That's like absolutely my life. After taking enough classes like that, I I work in, I used to work in MATLAB and mostly I do R. And then like I've, I've dabbled in Python and I'm learning how to use the terminal. It's just, yeah, it, you got to get used to it, but it's, it takes a while, it takes a while to be comfortable. <clears throat> I love that. Uh, so I think it's really cool that you're kind of using these boxes that are literal mini like ecosystems and eco, um, mini ecosystems, micro habitats, like these mini versions of that to, t- to test how different chemicals will kind of affect the environment. I think that is absolutely so cool and so cool that you're able to do that. Oh, it's a it's a really cool setup at Duke. They've they, I mean they recently took these down. Uh, I think last year, but when it was up and running, it was a part of our Center for the Environmental Implications of Nanotechnology, and it's it's a great way to just test out what it would look like in the real world dosings of of these kinds of like compounds or 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 any kind of materials on on a on a larger scale, and so. It's, it can get very complicated though, which is why I also pair it with uh, benchtop leaching experiments um, because <clears throat> there's just a lot of variables at play. And I think that without having other experiments to kind of go alongside it, you're not gonna be able to explain some of the phenomena that occurs, especially if it's like a year or two years of, of an experiment. Mm. You know, hurricane hits or like, I don't know, like all of the fish die because they got some sort of weird, uh, you know, fungus. Like you, you got to It's good to have a pairing of a few different things to, to kind of back up the science. Yeah, that's absolutely. We are water women and we're spending a lot of time in the water. 
so it's important to try and find something that you can wear that makes you feel good about its production and how it makes you feel. Finding one of these can be a little difficult. What's this swimsuit made out of? How is it sourced? Why doesn't it fit me right? And most importantly, why the heck can't I order different sizes for the top and the bottoms? This is why Water Women is so excited to be teaming up with Sisterly Swim to share with you their sustainable swimsuits that you can fit comfortably into. This is a family-owned business from sisters who are passionate about the environment and have developed these amazing swimsuits that come in six, yes, six different sizes. And if you don't feel comfortable in those six different sizes, they'll even do custom sizes for you. Yeah, custom sizes. How awesome is that? Each suit is made from fabrics that are 100% derived from fishing nets and carpet fluff that have reached the end of their usable life. Not only that, the packaging, postcards, and tags that you get are all made of 100% compostable materials. If I haven't convinced you yet, how about this exclusive deal only for Water Women listeners? You can get 15% off your entire order when you use the code Water Sister 15. That's Water Sister, one word, one five, for 15% off your entire order at sisterlyswim.com. These are swimsuits that you can feel good about wearing and feel good in. to be more conscious of their plastics effort or plastics usage and what plastics are in would you have any advice for them on where they can kind of learn more about that or like how they can inform themselves better or any products that they should just full-on stop using to be a better more environmentally conscious person is hard uh especially because a lot of the systems that are in place don't really encourage that especially depending on where you live but some great websites that help give you alternatives and good ideas include plasticfreejuly.org mm. it's not just for july uh but that has a it's a very great um website for just like taking a waste audit at home or, you know, oh, I want to eliminate some of the plastic out of my bathroom. These are the few things I can do to, to, you know, replace my toothbrush or my floss or, you know, things that we wouldn't normally think about. I think that is a great website in general. Also just being more mindful of like our clothing is great because I think the majority of microplastics in particular are coming from uh, our clothing or just like polyester, nylon, uh, nylon um, or even just like our tires. Our tires emit so much synthetic rubble mm-hmm. that end up in our waterways and, and even can have harm to like our coho salmon. They, they get almost decimated every time there's a rain event because of the chemicals and tires. Wow. So like, whoa not not as easy of a of an issue to fix because we all still need to get around and you know move but it's also a case to encourage hey maybe we should carpool more or like think about how far we're traveling or you know things like that because it's not just climate change that's impacted by our you know our choices but also microplastic pollution some great options are one 
you could just buy uh, through thrift stores, um, you know, continue recycling clothing. Like if you, if you have it, and then when you're washing your clothes, try and wash cold as much as possible, line dry as much as possible. It's, it's good for the fact that you're not uh, blowing out as much lint into the air because yes, microplastics are in the air, um, especially indoor and outdoor. And then um, just single use plastic in general. That's like the big thing to really work on. If you, if it's something that has one use and then it's thrown away, single use plastic in general is, is what really is overwhelming our environment, overwhelming our landfills. And sometimes it's even more difficult to recycle. Only about 9% of all plastic is actually recycled. Uh, and a lot of the single use plastic in particular is unnecessary. We're talking bottled water, unless you don't have good water quality, that's very different. Um, or you can't you know, afford water in general because that's also a huge issue in our world of people just not having access to water, which should be a human right. But if you can, eliminating bottled water, uh, even our utensils, I know we're all shopping uh, and getting delivery most of the time right now, but saying no to utensils when you get your takeout that would be a great milestone, saying no to straws as much as possible. Uh, just really thinking about the things that you only touch once before you throw away. That's, yeah. that's going to make a big difference. All these little things that you might not think of that when all stacked up actually do make a huge difference. Oh, yeah. If we're all doing it. That's huge. <laughs> Absolutely. And so I think I think it's really cool and almost over my head that you're looking at the chemicals that leach out of these. So it's not just the microplastics itself that you're looking at. Like you're looking at what comes out of them and goes back into the water and how that's going to affect us. That is, it's, it's hard to comprehend that it's not just the plastics that you're looking at, like the physical pieces of plastic that you can touch, but like chemicals that come out of it. Yeah. It's especially a double whammy for our environment. I mean, it's easy to say, Oh, that plastic is clogging a whale and, you know, when you open up the stomach contents, you see like a million tr trash bags, but there might've been something else also occurring at the same time where those chemicals in those bags are getting into the whale or getting into the organs and the tissues and, you know, causing unknown havoc, depending on what concentrations they are. So it's, it's a, it's a weird, complicated uh, thing to think about. Even when we microwave our Tupperware, what's coming out? of our Tupperware, or even if we put our, our food in, in Tupperware and then throw it in the refrigerator, like, is there stuff that's leaching into it? So I remember being told not to put Tupperware in the microwave because chemicals would get into your food. Mind you, I did it every time anyways. And I was like, yeah, okay, chemicals. And now I'm kind of like, oh, what have I ingested? And then I'm like, well, what have I ingested anyways in these foods? So <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, it's just being more aware of the decisions that we're making. Like, you know, if you microwave your Tupperware once, it's it's not the end of the world, but you really, it's just really about being more conscious of all the plastic that we are surrounded by. And the fact that like, yeah, okay, if I'm gonna microwave this Tupperware and then I'm gonna get my hot cocoa in a, a foam, like a styrofoam cup, like, okay, maybe I'm getting a little bit more of a dose than I anticipated of mm. unknown chemicals. And so it's, 
it's hard because there's also a lot of alternatives that are coming out, like these biodegradable plastics, these bioplastics, compostable plastics. Those are super complicated, but they also have chemicals. <laughs> so <laughs> we're, we're only solving part of the issue sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. So you actually, you do a lot of scientific communication and you have a special platform to do this. You have your own YouTube channel, is that right? Yes. So I have a YouTube channel and it's titled underneath my name, Amari Walker, I-M-A-R-I. And I, it's really geared towards talking about issues like this, plastic pollution, what is environmental engineering, what does it mean to be, you know, getting a PhD or, you know, changing from oceanography to engineering. A, a lot of those subjects are covered along with just like chemistry. What is the chemicals in any of our consumer products? What are we dealing with? Do we really want to keep interacting with these things? So it's a, it's a variety kind of channel. I love that. I love that you're using it for different forms of education, scientific communication, because it's really nice to have that kind of big sister to look up to, even if they're on the internet, when you have questions going into science of any sort, going into it, about it. So it's really awesome that you're doing that. What made you want to start it? It was really uh, the combination of the pandemic and then also the the loss of George Floyd, uh, just really seeing like more and more, you know, time is up. Discrimination against Black Americans needs to stop. And we're here and we need to be present and have a voice. And so I was like, I want to be a Black science communicator. I want people to see, uh, you know, us as, you know, diverse people, as scientists, as engineers. And I want to share my story and, and share how important science is to, to, you know, myself and to the world. And so that that was kind of part of it, along with the fact that I you know, was stuck at home and I didn't really see what life was going to be like after this pandemic, especially because a lot of the conferences that I was supposed to be attending were getting canceled and I was losing the opportunities that I loved and treasured so much um, to be able to talk about science. And so I was like, well, why keep that in, you know, a small group of people of researchers that know everything about this topic? Why not you know, tell the public about things that we chat about all the time and make it accessible for, for people to have, have that information and make their own decisions about what they're interacting with. So I thought YouTube was probably the most accessible for age groups and um, just like people from all walks of life to have access to that information. I love that. I think that is absolutely so important. I'm so happy you did that representation in science and making it accessible to everyone is so important and I cannot speak from your perspective as a person of color because obviously I'm white I'm the whitest you could possibly get but even just being a woman seeing other women like bring each other up is amazing so I can only imagine what it was like for, for you and how powerful this must feel to be what you wish you had when you were younger it's really a surprise. I, I, I really did was, you know, most of my life I'm like, okay, I want to be able to help people, you know, get their way to being, you know, the best self that they can be and, and explore science. But I was surprised at the people who had already started reaching out and saying, Hey, I am a woman of color and I'm interested in going to, you know, 
college for environmental engineering or, you know, like oceanography. And like, I want to talk to you about like, what does that mean? Or, Hey, I want to go to grad school and I don't know what that means. And I think I want to do it in this area. And so I, I, I really was surprised. I thought I couldn't be a mentor like that until I had finished a PhD, but getting that opportunity now through a YouTube channel, because people find me on Instagram or, or, or through my YouTube has been really, really um, great. And it makes me feel like I'm actually doing a little bit more than I, I thought I could. So it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's a very rewarding experience. I've had people message me on the Water Women Instagram and even send emails to the Water Women email. And I think they feel like they're emailing a group of people or messaging a group or a company. And they're like, hey, I just want to say like what you guys do is really inspiring. And I'm like, I'm going to cry because it is me, a single person. Well, I mean, I have Kelly. Kelly is a huge help. I love Kelly. So it's me and Kelly that are doing this. It's two girls who one's still in their undergrad and one just finished their undergrad. And I started this podcast because I wanted to talk about ocean sciences and to see that it's actually making a difference and people are enjoying it is an overwhelming feeling. So I know exactly what you're talking about when you're like, hey, this feels great to share and just to be able to talk about it. It's also because it's stuff you're passionate about and it's easy to talk about stuff you're passionate about and then it's easy to share that love. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's always been a surprise. It's just like how quickly people are open to receiving information and, and really identifying with, with what you're saying. Like I started in May, May of 2020, like, and it's now what, October. I'm, I'm surprised that the, that people are watching. I thought it was just going to be my mom, like, <laughs> but uh, to, to have people resonate with, with the message and, and want to know more and, and, and just be open to, to reaching out to me and communicating about their passions is something that, that makes me feel like I, I did something good. I love it. It's, it makes me so happy. <laughs> so this is my favorite question to ask people. If there was a little girl who wanted to grow up and do what you're doing, what would be your advice for her? If there was a little girl that wanted to do what I was doing, I would say that uh, sometimes things get pretty challenging and difficult, but the, the main goal is just to keep going and you don't have to love every part of it. You don't have to love math as much as you think you have to, like, it's totally fine. Uh, but, you know, find friends that also have similar ambitions and, and work really hard to get to where, where you want to be. It's, it's your own journey. And if it changes, that's totally fine. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's always, it's always going to be difficult, but if you love what you're doing, it's going to be easier. Oh Yeah. Absolutely. So if people wanted to follow along with your YouTube channel and you as a person in your scientific journey or your personal journey, is there anywhere online that they can find you and follow along? Yes. So for the YouTube channel, it would be Amari Walker, I-M-A-R-I-W-A-L-K-E-R. And then for my Twitter and Instagram, it's both under Calamari93. And so that's uh, C-A-L-I-M-A-R-I and then nine, three. I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It was awesome to have you on and to learn all about this plastic pollution. 
And thank you again. Thank you, Jill. This was wonderful. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Water Women podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to rate and subscribe to it. You can also follow us on all of our social medias. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Water Women Podcast and on Twitter at Water Women Pod. You can also find more behind the scenes info on our website, waterwomenpodcast.ca. I am so happy to keep sharing these stories of different water women each week with you. And until next week, stay salty.